Tonight I want to speak about a few topics to kind of get us all kind of heading in the same direction so that we're all on the same page as we uh, go into this period of time together. We all come from different uh, places uh, geographically, different places in our heart, different places in our commitment and practice of the Dharma. And even though we have a lot of difference among us, when we come here we're really coming to do one thing. And that is we're all interested in some way in waking up just a little bit more to more of what's going on in our life and what it means to be a human being and how to be free. So just as a reminder of that and so that we can begin to let go of some of our differences and some of our um, uh, distractions that uh, kind of individuate us. I want to speak in a way that will uh, try to show us that we're all really uh, like-minded in our coming and being here. So I want to speak about personal aspiration important to know why we're here, each one of us. I also want to speak about the format of the retreat so that you can understand why we schedule the retreat as we do, just so that you can feel uh, like uh, that you can buy into it. And then I want to speak about the practice itself as a very gradual training and just the, the potential of any training, but particularly this training in awareness. And then I want to speak a little bit about what's important to know as we begin practice. If we had the time, and it was an opportunity here, it would be nice to be able to ask each one of you to reflect on and then to share with us, why are you here? And to just consider for a minute, why, 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 why am I here? What brought me here? What, what is going on in your life right now? What is going on in your mind or my mind, <coughs> my heart? What makes it important that I take a week out of the busyness of life and come to this place at this time with these teachers to do this practice. It's a big commitment. And we may have a very modest uh, reason or aspiration. You know, maybe we're just curious about this practice or these teachers or the cook's food. <laughs> I went to one retreat and someone had been given the retreat as a gift certificate <laughs> by his co-workers and uh, you know in you know kind of accepting their challenge I bet you don't dare do this he did it and you know it it really doesn't matter in some sense how you get here if you're here with some intention and some purpose it's important to ask yourself and to know why Sometimes we just understand that we want to just kind of unplug and chill out for a while. We just want to calm down 
maybe our life is really hectic lately and kind of unplugging can be uh, a source of or a way of managing some of the stressful conditions in our life. Others of you may understand that this practice offers a very powerful tool for healing. Healing our hearts, healing our minds, sometimes healing uh, our bodies sometimes. Um, and one of the obvious benefits for those of you who've practiced at all know is it, it, it does help bring the mind into balance. And, you know, with the pushes and pulls of our life, it's easy to get out of balance uh, and to get kind of caught up in emotional reactivity and kind of losing our center and getting jerked around by conditions outside of ourselves. And so just finding our own center and coming to a more balanced place within ourselves important. And some of us may understand that this is the practice of liberation, that this practice has the power to liberate the mind from suffering and the causes of suffering. And that's a very noble aspiration. No matter what your aspiration, whether it's very ordinary, mundane, or whether it's very noble, we'll all be doing the same practice. Nevertheless, remembering our aspiration and reminding ourselves, why am I here, is often helpful during the retreat because we forget, you know, and we get distracted by, you know, the birds and the colors and the people coming and going and other people here, and we forget what really is our highest purpose in being here. And now that we're here, I know it has taken many of you uh, some time and some resources to, to fulfill the conditions of getting here. It costs some money and you have to make arrangements for people to take care of your work or your pets or your children or parents or, you know, we have a lot of obligations and responsibilities so it's not easy and it takes a lot of preparation to, to come here. But now that you're here, we want to make a commitment to take full advantage of the opportunity and to fulfill uh, as much of our aspiration as we can by participating fully here. It's important to consider that we may wish for and hope for and aspire to something that seems far-reaching, very transformative, maybe beyond our reach, we don't know yet. And we may think, well, it's not going to happen this week, but nevertheless, our aspiration is really the direction we're going in life. And whether you know it or not, your life is headed in a direction. And maybe you only know it by looking back and seeing where you've been over the last month or months or year or two or decade even for some of us and see the direction, the trajectory that your life is moving. That <coughs> gives you an idea of your aspiration. Others of us <coughs> may have a very clear direction that we know we want to go and that we keep orienting ourselves in that direction 
as often as we remember, as frequently as we notice that we're not headed in that direction, that we're kind of distracted, dispersed, kind of taking a detour, seeing that, remembering and reorienting ourselves. And in that way, any of us can redirect our energies towards our aspiration at any time. Anytime. When you see you're off course, you just turn around and head in the direction of your, your aspiration. And that's, that's really all we can do. That is what we can do in that moment to fulfill the conditions uh, for reaching that and fulfilling that aspiration. The pace and the demands of our life in 21st century America or the West are phenomenal. They're just tremendous uh, demands upon each one of us. Um, I like to ask people who recently retired or who have retired, been retired for some time, uh, not because I'm going to get there, but because I'm getting the age where it would be nice to think about that, but not going to happen. So I like to ask them, oh, now since you've retired, do you have a lot more time on your hands? Almost none of them do. And it's really interesting. And some of them even say, how did they ever have time to work 40 hours a week? You know, and it's something to consider that our lives are so full that even in the midst of fullness of work or retirement, we still can find the time to, to practice and to reorient ourselves towards the direction we're going. But in that busyness of life or the fullness of life, multitasking is really useful. It's imp it's, I guess it's probably essential that we know how to do a few things at once. You know, talking on the phone and making notes and doing our to-do list and taking care, watching something cook on the stove and that's necessary. But at this retreat, multitasking is a hindrance. Now, it's not that you got a lot to do, and, but the habit of multitasking is very deeply conditioned. And so often, even here, you may find yourself seeming like you've got a lot to do. You've got to hurry up to get here, to do this, to sit down, to fold your thing and get, get your water bottle, fill, water bottle filled. And it's like, I mean, filling your water bottle and, you know, uh, fluffing your cushion in one day is quite a lot. <laughs> but so it just watch the pace of your mind because there really is nowhere to go. There really is nothing to do except try to be here. Um, one way that we become clearer in our mind, and I think all of us uh, have seen the benefit of it or hope for the benefit of it, is to, to keep your practice really simple do as little as you can in any one moment, but do it with intention to really be present with what it is you're doing. And in this way, you'll see when you're off track and how to get back on track, reorienting yourself. It's been my experience that over the course of 
retreats and years of practice, decades of practice now, that as I continue to practice, my understanding grows, my commitment grows, my faith grows, and the clarity of my aspiration gets more refined. I couldn't know 30 years ago what I know now about this, the path of awakening. It just, it's just not possible. But through practice, we answer questions that we have within ourselves, and new questions emerge to guide our practice, and through practice we answer them, and then more refined questions uh, appear. You know, plate tectonics, the, the understanding of how the Earth's surface, the crust of the Earth's surface, moves around, big floating chunks of Earth are floating around. Um, this was a theory or an understanding that came into geologists' minds back in the 60s. And before that, there was just a, a growing uh, pile of unanswered questions that geologists just couldn't answer with their knowledge at the time. And there was a lot of paradoxical information. And then gradually the theory of plate tectonics came into uh, an understanding and common knowledge, and it just answered a tremendous amount of questions. It just satisfied a lot of unexplained things. But along with that came a whole new refinement of the questions that geologists were asking. And the same thing happens with our practice, where something like mental geologists. We're kind of like looking at the mind and going down into the mind layer by layer and as we kind of come to one layer and kind of get clear what's going on there, we get new questions and more refined questions and we take another look and we go a little deeper. And it's, it seems like there's no end to just how many questions can be asked and how many answers can be found. And so we want to keep that in mind as we keep looking at what sometimes seems to be very repetitive, very boring, very familiar uh, experiences, sitting, walking, the breath, uh, you know. Nevertheless, there's a lot to be learned, even in very repetitive um, activity. The format of this retreat, if you look at the schedule, is uh, not very exciting. You know, it's wake up, sit and walk until meals, and keep sitting and walking until another meal, and keep sitting and walking until another snack, sit and walk and go to bed. And the first time I went to a retreat, I didn't really know where I was getting into. I thought I was going on some kind of a holiday, almost like a resort cruise, only it wasn't on a ship, you know. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. And I got there and I looked at the schedule, you know, wake up, five o'clock, sit, walk, sit, breakfast, sit, walk, sit, walk, lunch, sit, walk, sit, walk, you know, 7.30, talk. And I looked at my partner and I said, wow, at least we get an hour a day to talk. We don't get an hour a day to talk. We get an hour a day to listen. <laughs> it's the teachers do the talking. And it can be a little daunting just to kind of imagine going all day without talking. But actually, if you can 
buy into the power of silence to show you yourself more clearly. It is a tremendous a gift to give yourself the silence. There's, there's, there's often a need to speak with the cook or the manager or your roommate in the early part of the retreat, but as time goes on, less need and to the extent that you can um, commit to that, it'll be a real benefit to your practice. And this format of sitting and walking is a format that has been tried and tested over decades with over hundreds, thousands of retreats, I guess now, and probably hundreds of thousands of meditators. It is a powerful and effective format for doing the work we want to do to open our, open our minds, open our hearts in a gentle way so that we don't get imbalanced and we don't get too overwhelmed, but just in a very gentle way to just keep looking. And it's very powerful support in that way. It will be helpful if uh, you could minimize your use of uh, either reading or writing, um, talking, of course. Uh, the writing, of course, if you want to take some notes, you know, during the Dharma talk, that, that's fine. Or if you want to just make a note about something that you observe, that's fine. But we ask that you please not write during a sitting in the hall, and that you keep it really kind of kind of to a minimum if you do write. Some of you may be here with a good friend, or you may be here as part of a with your partner. Uh, and it's it's great to do practice like this with uh, a good friend or partner. There's a lot to share in life about practice and through practice. But during the time here, it would be, and I encourage you to really let each other practice on your own. To really let the other person do their practice, go through their ups and downs, joys and sorrows, trials and tribulations, you have the rest of your retreat to talk about it. And it'll be valuable. It'll be a great experience to have, to share together, but alone together, and then to share at the end of the retreat. Another aspect of the um, schedule is that the routine Day in, day out, it's going to be the same thing. The routine relieves the mind of having to figure out what to do next. Most of us have very busy lives, and it's, it's, it's a challenge at times to schedule everything that we need to get scheduled in a day, and then to fulfill it, and then to schedule the things tomorrow that we didn't get done today, and to fit that in. And here, there really isn't anything to fit in. And it really lets the mind just rest a whole section of our mind about scheduling. And just to follow the routine in its simplicity can just calm the mind in making a commitment to do that. So let the routine support, the routine and the regularity of the schedule support your calming of body and calming of the mind. There will be 
uh, as Kamala mentioned, uh, chanting the first sitting in the morning, chanting the refuges and precepts. In the first sitting after breakfast, we will be offering instructions each day. And the instructions will be different each day. They'll kind of build on each other and kind of encourage a greater uh, understanding of the practice. And at the end of that sitting each day, there'll be an opportunity for questions and answers. And I encourage you to really, if you have a question about the instructions or your experience, take the opportunity to ask the question. Often, some of you will be real willing to ask questions in a group, and others are kind of shy and self-conscious maybe and, and not so comfortable. But those who ask the question, ask the question for everyone, and almost all of you will get the benefit from anyone's question. Uh, beginning on Tuesday, we will schedule individual check-ins with each of you with either Kamala or I, and throughout the sit, throughout the retreat, the rest of the retreat, we'll be seeing half of you each day, so that you can have some individual time to speak with us about your practice, and we can offer you more, um, more precise, maybe more more refined uh, guidance for your particular uh, experience in practice. Keep it simple. One of the best instructions I ever got for early, early in my practice was keep it simple. Keep your practice simple. Keep your life simple. Keep your your being here simple. We have a tendency to really proliferate just a tremendous amount of activity and uh, ruminations in the mind and possibilities are just endless. And it, it complexifies the mind very easy. We're very good at that. We're not so good at really keeping things simple. So I want to encourage you during this retreat, if you see the mind proliferating possibilities, let it go. Just remind yourself, let go, let go. Keep it simple, keep it simple. Just keep your practice as simple as you can. Your being here as simple as you can. And you'll find it complicated and difficult enough even to do it that way. Each evening we will be offering a Dharma talk at 7.30 on some part of the Dharma or some aspect of practice and hopefully you'll all uh, be interested to attend that and we would ask that you attend the uh, instructional sitting in the morning too. The schedule is helpful for everyone but sometimes you know, you'll feel the need to walk when, when others are sitting or to sit maybe when others are walking. And that's okay, you can modify your schedule a little bit if you wish, but for the most part, uh, see if you can kind of fit into the flow of the retreat in that way. And another really important aspect of the retreat, and actually an important aspect of practice in life, is to accept the way things are. This, this is the way it is. There are limits to this facility. There are limits to the schedule. There are limits to what we can offer, what the cooks can offer. And just to accept as much as possible, oh, this is the way it is, and see if it can be good enough. If it's good enough, then let it, let it be good enough without seeking more or better or something different. Uh, this is the practice of renunciation. 
and it's a it's not a lifestyle or practice that's very common actually in our life and in our culture and our conditioning to be satisfied with the way things are very difficult most of us not yet there and so this is an opportunity to try to practice with what's good enough and to let go of uh, proliferating more more needs that can be met but maybe it's a little too much to expect here one thing that's also important to understand about practice is that it's a very gradual training of the mind uh, we can hear the instructions and we try it and it just takes repetition it just takes over and over again to just gradually sink into and begin to um, get more skillful at the practice and to just notice more and even though the instructions are very simple, actually, they're not easy to do. They're kind of hard to do. Uh, so we don't want to mistake the simplicity of the instructions for, and the simplicity or the, the easiness of understanding them. We don't want to mistake that for insignificant. Oh, this is not so important or it's pretty insignificant. Because when we try it, we'll see, ooh, a little bit difficult. And the more we try it, the more we actually learn about ourselves. And so uh, practice is really a training, a gradual training of the mind. And neuroscientists, amazingly now, 2,500 years later, are confirming what the Buddha discovered and understood. The mind is like plastic. You can make it take any shape and form you desire. It's not fixed. It's not brittle. You can work the mind. You can train the mind. You can develop the mind. And the capacities of the mind that you wish to enhance can be enhanced. And the habits of mind, which you'd like to see kind of not so, not so obsessive, not so compulsive, not so demanding, you can actually eliminate from the mind. Because the mind can be molded through intention and effort and energy and understanding. And a large part of practice is just that, looking at the habits of the mind that are not skillful and letting them go, looking towards our aspiration and seeing how to move in that direction and developing the mind in that way. And over the course of time, we actually see this, this happen. And so we want to be patient with our conditioning and we want to be persistent in our practice knowing that change happens but only gradually. It's said that to become an expert at something, you know, scientists who study what it takes to become an expert chess player, what it takes to become an expert Olympic quality diver, swimmer, runner, or whatever, they say that you have to put 10,000 hours into something to become an expert. Now, 10,000 hours, just so you know, is 
three hours a day for nine years. That's a, that's a lot of hours. Three hours a day for nine years to get 10,000 hours. Well, I'm here to report that to become an expert meditator takes far, far more than 10,000 hours. So, just, just to be a little bit humble about that, uh, but you can see benefit after even one week. Neuroscientists have also discovered that people who practice just an hour a day, an hour a day for six weeks, have statistically significant medical changes in their bodies and minds, brains, that are significant and, and beneficial. So imagine if an hour a day for six weeks is that beneficial, we'll be doing 12, 14 hours a day for seven days. You can expect some significant change. Many of you, or I should say all of us, have exposure to this just vast library of literature on meditation, on Buddhism, on spiritual practice, on all the kinds of emotional healing that meditation addresses, as well as uh, the, the, the wisdom of innumerable spiritual, religious, cultural, social, shamanistic traditions. There's just an overwhelming abundance of material available. And I pity the poor person who's just kind of taking a look for the first time. My God, where do they start? Well, luckily we've all started. We found a niche. We found, somehow we've, we've arrived here. So out of all that you've read and all that's available and all that you haven't read yet, but hope to. What is it that you really need to know to practice here effectively? One, meditation is the work of the mind. It's what the mind does. The body can be sitting, can be walking, can be standing still, can be sitting on the toilet, can be eating, it can be doing anything, but it's what the mind does while the body's doing whatever it does. So, you can sit in a chair, you can sit on a comfortable chair, you can sit on a bench, you can stand up. Not so important. It's important to be comfortable, not to be too tight and stressed, tense, but really to pay attention to the mind. What is the mind doing with this moment? Is it aware of this moment? Does it know what's being experienced? How is it relating to what is being experienced. This is what we're asking in this practice. The second thing we need to know is the work of awareness training, which is what we'll be doing, is to know what's happening. So rather than asking the question, why am I experiencing this? Or why not experience that? The question we ask ourselves is, what? what? is this experience. What is being known? That is the kind of the direction of cultivating awareness. What is being known? And the second question that we ask and answer through practice is how am I relating to it? 
This is what's being known, breathing in, breathing out, pain in the body, restless mind, wandering mind. This is what's being known. How am I relating to it? I don't like it, I like it, I'm excited by it, I'm bored by it, I'm confused by it, I'm you know, chagrined, distressed, frustrated, disappointed. That's important to know. What is being known is going to change throughout the, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout your life. Always changing. And while we may use the breath as an object to attend to, as a technique for trying to train the mind, the breath is, is not really any more important than any other experience. What's really important is how are you relating to it. This is the work of the mind, knowing what's happening, knowing how you're relating to it. That's what we want to be paying attention to. Whether you use the breath or the body or some movement or sound, standing, sitting, walking, doing a yoga pose, doesn't matter. What's, what's the mind knowing and how's the mind relating to it? This is the meditation. Thirdly, the objects and experiences that we want to be paying attention to mostly are within our own body, within our own mind. Yes, when our eyes are open, we see others. When our ears are open, we hear other sounds. But primarily, we're paying attention to what's going on within the body, within our own mind. The range of what can be known is vast. Just the experiences that we can feel in the body is just tremendous, it's immense. From the greatest, subtlest pleasure to the most intolerable, excruciating, painful experience. Same with the mind. The most uh, elevated, spiritual, high, <coughs> noble thoughts and feelings to the most depraved and disgusting and painful, uh, unskillful thoughts and feelings. The range is just infinite. Whatever you experience, whatever you experience is okay. That's the way it is. That's what's happening. The question is, how are you relating to it? Not to judge what your experience is in any way. Whatever you experience is due to conditions. It's just arise. If we can be, if we can remember that, this experience has arisen due to conditions. Most of them out of my control. It just happens. Recognize that, but watch your relationship to it. Practice will unfold quite effortlessly. It's helpful to commit to continuity. In any one moment, I could ask you, can you feel the sensations in your right hand right now? And with a minimum of effort, but precisely directed, we can feel what is going on in our right hand. No problem. That's how much energy and effort it takes in any one moment to be aware. Almost nothing. It's just. I mean, we don't have to hunch our shoulders, we don't have to furrow our brow, we don't have to grit our teeth and clench our fists in order to be mindful. It's just 
directing our attention in a very precise and gentle way and noticing. That's all. What's difficult is to do that all the time. To just be continuous in our noticing this is what's going on. And that's where we get frustrated and disappointed and you know, and have a sense of struggling when in fact at any moment it's just can I feel what's going on? That's it. Many of you have had years or maybe even decades, some of you, of practicing with different teachers, different teachings, different techniques, different readings. And in fact, they're all valuable and useful and relevant to some of you at some time in your practice. We're not commenting on whether they're good or bad or right or wrong for you. But during your time here, we would ask that you put that aside. Just for now, just, just put it aside. And not out of judgment, but just put it aside and try what we're offering. Just see how it is. Give it a, give it a, give it a go. Just test it out for a week. Test drive this practice for a week. At the end of the week, you can say, don't like it, not buying it, out of here. Or you might find that it's useful for you some of the time and pick it up and use it. Or you might be very excited and, and take it on as a, as, a, as a commitment to practice. But until we try it fully, fully invest ourselves in it, we really won't know. And so while we're here and we have, you have us to guide you and answer your questions, I encourage you to consider, consider making that kind of commitment. Techniques that we offer and technique, techniques that you've heard from others, they're just tools. We don't need to spend our time and effort becoming a technician. Technicians know how to do one thing very well, the technique. You know, if all you have is one tool, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything begins to look like a nail. So if the only tool you have is the breath, everything else begins to look like a problem to your practice. So don't get stuck on a technique. Use it when useful, let it go when it isn't. Just a couple of more reminders to encourage you to get the benefit of your time and your, your efforts here. One is, we arrive here today after several decades of life during which we have created and conditioned very deep habits. Habits of mind, habits of body, habits of reactivity, just because we're here, they don't stop. You know, our same old thoughts, same old habits, same old fears, joys, sorrows, hopes, frustrations, disappointments, stressors, judgments, self-judgments, judgments of others, fear, they come with us. Your, your mind comes with you, goes with you wherever you go. It's, it's there. It's nice to have a nice place. It's nice to have a quiet place. It's nice to be in a group of people who are practicing. But your mind is right here with you. Be patient. Be really patient with 
whatever you see. And know, secondly, everything changes. Even if you don't do anything about it, it still changes. Everything changes. So if you don't like what's happening now, you don't have to do anything about it. It will change soon enough. It might get worse, but it might just as equally get better. So just be patient and bear with it and see for yourself what happens next. Secondly, be persistent. We, uh, we offer these instructions, we offer this encouragement because persistent pays off. If we just keep at it, we just keep at it, we just keep at it, in time, the momentum of that intention and effort and practice has an effect. If we just try a bit and stop, and try a bit and stop, and try a bit and stop, we never get there. In Burma, where we practice, there's a, the way they talk about this, they say, you know, if you want to get water and you start digging a well, if you dig a well and after, you know, four feet, five feet, six feet, oh, it gets really hard. It's really, it's really hard. The ground's hard. And it's really, you say, well, maybe there's water over here. And you get out and you, you go over there and you start digging. You get down three feet and it gets hard. And you, you leave and you go someplace. You have a lot of little holes and no water. And this is very easy to do in practice. A lot of little scraping of the surface of your mind, but no real understanding and liberation. To get water, you really need to go deep. You've got to go deep through all the hard stuff, all the easy stuff, way down below the edge, the rim of what you think is possible. Same with the mind. There's going to be hard stuff in the mind. There's going to be easy time in the mind. You've still got to keep going. So if you, if you reach a hard spot where you think, oh, I need to try a different practice, I, I need, this, this, maybe Zen is better for me. Maybe Dances of Universal Peace is really what I should be doing, or <laughs> whatever. It's okay, maybe it is, but for now, get some encouragement from us. We'll, we'll, we'll show you how to get your way through this hard spot. It's helpful to relax. As much as possible, relax. Sit comfortably, watch. When tension creeps into the body. When tension creeps into the body, you can be sure, tension is creeping into the mind. Holding on, creeping into the mind. That's a sign. There's something going on there. Pay attention to that. Really, watch, re watch the body. See if it can be relaxed. If you can watch the mind and know when the mind is relaxed and when the mind isn't relaxed, you'll learn a lot, a lot, about what is driving, driving you. Okay. We've been talking long enough. <laughs> uh, and maybe many of you have also had a full day of work already. No, Sunday. Nobody works on Sunday. Sunday. You do. The cook does. <laughs> he worked all day. Yeah, okay. So uh, why don't we wrap it up for tonight and uh, take some rest. And in the morning, the bell will ring at, I think, 5.30. Yeah? And we come and sit at 6. So we'll come back in and we'll sit at 6 o'clock. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.